Hi friends, it's Kayla Moran and welcome back to the Let's Get Candid podcast. How's everybody doing today? Happy Thursday, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever day or time it is that you're listening. So happy to be back on the mic with you guys. Happy almost Christmas, happy Hanukkah, and yeah, let's get into it. I'm super excited for this week's episode. Sorry I did not upload last week. I was deathly ill after Art Basel and the winter weather and just riding myself ragged for the last few months. I was honestly so go, go, go. But I love those seasons of my life where I'm just on the go and very busy and always doing something, but also need those days where I just don't do anything at all and rest and reset and productive rest and really get in tune with myself. And I took the time while I was sick those days to work on my vision board and my goals and manifestations and my intentions for 2024. So like I said, I was very productive in that moment as well, but I gave my myself the break, my body, the break, the rest that it absolutely needed. And that's what I love about this time of year. Like, please take time for yourself and to check in with yourself and make sure that you are on the path that you want to be on for you. And we'll talk more about that in next week's episode when I do my, you know, vision boarding episode for 2024. And I'll chat with you guys all about that. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say that in this episode because I wanted to explain why I missed episode last week, even though I don't really think a lot of people listen to this anymore. But if you're listening, thank you so, so much for being here. And like I said, I have a really great episode for you guys with Christy Bowie. She is my CPA and wealth manager. I just signed on with her for the new year and I'm so, so excited to work with her to level up my finances, my career, my wealth plan, my financials, and really get the business on, like off the ground and really take it to the next level because it takes a village. You need a support system. You need a team. You know, I hired two assistants. Christy was the next step and there's so many things I want to do and we'll talk all about that in the new year of like the plans for my business as they start coming. I don't want to, you know, spill the beans too soon and then jinx it, but I can now share that I'm going to be working with her and I got the opportunity to record with her this episode and she has a podcast as well, the CEO Wing Woman and she is absolutely incredible. She I mean, she can tell her story, but she used to work at Deloitte. She was a tax accountant and financial like wealth planner and she has a lot of expertise in tax and wealth management finances and helping people successfully scale and build their businesses or build and then scale. And, you know, now she does it for entrepreneurs and she really helps people who want to share, show their audience that they could do it too and grow their community and their businesses through social media. And that is why I chose her. And I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's do a quick second suite of the week and then we'll dive right in. So my suck of the week is, like I said, I was really sick, but honestly, I needed that. I needed that time to be sick. I just hated that I missed a couple of really cool opportunities that I had, like a wellness class on the beach at the last day of Art Basel and a couple of Art Basel events that Sunday that I didn't get to go to because I was really sick. And just getting, you know, festive and going out with friends and being out in the community and seeing all these people that have been in town and I, you know, I've missed, I miss out on a lot in the last week being sick, but it was also exactly what I needed to kind of take a step back and reflect and look inward and 
take care of myself so no truth sucked just other than the fact that like i was really sick but that just is goes to show like you need to take time for yourself when your body tells you you need it and hopefully you don't burn out because that's not fun but you learn from it for the next one i think always and my sweet of the week is that it is the holidays and i love the holidays and i'm really excited to spend time with my family and you know rest and take a break and the new year I always love ringing in a new year. It's just, there's something about a fresh start. I mean, you could always start fresh every single day is a fresh start. If you get to see the sunrise and the sunset, it's a good day. You know, there's always a fresh start the next day, but something about this time of year is just something really special. And I'm glad that I get to share it with all of you. So thank you guys so much for being here. And if you like this episode, please leave a rating interview. Please subscribe to the show, share with a friend, tag us as you're listening. Let me know who you want to see next, what topics you want me to cover next. There's so much more coming for you on the podcast in the 2024. So stay tuned, subscribe, share with a friend, and I will see you guys in next week's episode. I hope you guys enjoy short and sweet because there's a lot to get to and I got to run. Thank you guys so much for listening and I will talk to you guys next week. Meet Christy. Hi, Christy. What's something that people wouldn't know about you just from following you? Oh, gosh. What a great question. Um, I would say really like what my passion behind everything I do is. I have had like the most, what I always say is like the most normal life. I had... I went to college. I did everything I was supposed to. I got the job. And looking from the outside, like people were like, oh my gosh, she did it. She made it. And it was kind of in that time in my life that I was like, no, this isn't actually what I want. Like this is, you know, I I need to change something in my life. And I think a lot of people, when I finally made the announcement that I was like quitting my big corporate job, doing all these things, um, a lot of people were surprised because I think you look at people's quote unquote, like picture perfect life. And it's not even that I was like only sharing highlights it's that I was like living this life that you crave and you want. Um, and it was just like, not a happy time in my life. And so I think that's something, you know, people think that I did it all and had this great journey. It's like, and I, and I know you can relate. It's like, nope, that actually, you know, that, that wasn't, that wasn't the situation. No, that's a big one. And I want to dissect that a little bit, but go back to how did you know what you wanted to study in college? Like, I think people put so much pressure on like being 17, 18, like you have to decide your major and that's going to be your career. And most people don't, work in their majors, you know, with the exception of like doctors, that's really it. Like not even lawyers, like you could go to law school with any degree. So what made you decide to become an accountant? And like, did you know that's what you wanted to be at when you graduated from high school? Like how did it take take us back? Not a clue. Um, I wanted to work in like sports medicine and like found a great program for it when um, turns out like I could not pass biology because I didn't understand plants. Like literally I am just, I also like, you know how the big like weed out science classes are like, you just, you're left to your own vices, like fail, go for it. And I was trying so, so hard. And it was this class that was just like, it was biology, but it was like plants. And I just like, couldn't care less. (laughs) And I think when you don't care, like some things just like don't click because you're like, but anyway, I just like 
was not doing well in the sciences. And I was like, I cannot go through four more years, like plus med school of this. There's no way, like, no matter how much I want to do this, like, this is not how my brain is programmed. I, you know, maybe this isn't right for me. And so um, where I went to school is very competitive to get into the business school. And so I was like, okay, maybe I want to go into the business school. Um, but you're not allowed to just do that. Like you have to prove yourself. You have to submit applications. And so I took this really roundabout way of being like, well, maybe I'll have a business minor and like do that. Um, and so I started my business minor and I took an accounting class and it just like kind of came naturally to me. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I am so passionate about accounting because you know, <laughs> there are things I'm passionate about in this world, but I'm not going to say I'm passionate about it as a whole, but it kind of just came very naturally to me in a way that I understood. And again, I mentioned, I just came from like a very normal family. And one of the things I was told was like, get a job with job security, right? Like you want something consistent and reliable. It was never like what you're passionate about. And I do think there is an element of your job that you should be passionate about for sure. But also there is a reality in which like a job is something that allows you to pursue other passions. So I just want to be very clear about like, I don't think everybody is like meant to love what they do. And I love part of what I do, but I was always told get a reliable, consistent, safe job. And I was like, accounting, like uh, accounting doesn't really, you don't go through recessions. Like everybody needs them all the time. And so, you know, just by nature, I was like, I guess this is what I'm going to do. I fought tooth and nail and was able to transfer into the business school. And after going through that, basically, I was told in this like appeal process to transfer into the business school, like, no, we don't think you're good enough. Like I had to reapply, you know, redo everything. And I think that really lit a fire under me that I was like, oh, you don't think I'm good enough? Like, watch me. <laughs> oh, I um, love that. And- <laughs> I love when that fire comes out. I can relate so much. Yep. And so um, at my school, you would get into the business school, but then to do the accounting program, we actually had like, it was a five-year program where you would get your bachelor, master's CPA. And that was really like, if you wanted to go into public accounting, like you pretty much had to do that program. And so once I got transferred into the business school, um, you can apply for that program. I think it was like your junior, sophomore or junior year, you would apply for that. And so I was like, oh, they didn't even think I could get into the business school. No, no, no. Like, I'm going to get into this program. Um, and so at that point, I was kind of just like fighting for to prove to people that it was worth letting me in and letting me do this. And I was capable. And along the way, I really took an interest in more of like the tax side of accounting and the strategies and in things. And I don't know if how much you've seen this in law, but like there are ways we would study court cases where you would resolve something simply through like different taxation of things, like both parties could win. And I just thought it was so unique that you could use tax law as a lot more of a puzzle than like just preparing returns and doing all these things that we thought tax was. And so kind of along the way, I decided that that was what I wanted to specialize in. Um, And so I just completed the program. And that's kind of how I got with my CPA. (laughs) No, I love that. I think there's so much to be said for kind of having to go the roundabout way or doing it the hard way. And it does, like you said, it showed you like you really do want this and you're going to go, you're going to give it your all and you're going to prove people wrong that you do deserve to be there. And I felt the same way in law school. Like it was my goal my entire life to go to law school. And then I got there and I was like, everyone's telling me I can't do this and I'm not going to succeed in like, 
I shouldn't be here, but like watch me and I'm going to make it happen on my terms. And it, and it worked and for you too, but you did, I, I chose to not go the, the, the corporate route or the big law route or really truly the firm route, but you did go to a big four, like corporate law, uh, accounting firm. Like, what was that? Like, did you, you know, you, you, so you knew you wanted to do tax. You knew you wanted to specialize. You liked it a lot what was the process in like getting hired and working at one of those companies for the first few years of your career? So at the school I was at, it was a relatively prestigious program. So we were actually like recruited out of school. And I think I had the most unique like job getting experience because we we were recruited basically by all of the big four firms. And it was so strict that each firm could only contact us on a certain day of the week. So we wouldn't get like overwhelmed. So, you know, it was like QVC could talk to me on Monday and Deloitte could talk to me on Tuesday. And you went through, I think it was like two or three months of these recruiting events. So it started with, we would interview with every single firm. Well, pretty much every single firm, you would submit your resume and then, um, unless you had something that they like really didn't like all four of the firms would interview you. And then they would go through a recruiting process after that. Like think sorority recruitment, like for business. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. Oh, that's how, that's how law school is (laughs) on campus interviews. It's the same thing. Yep. So we did, um, that, and then you would get invited to like essentially like parties. So for a couple of weeks, it would be, you know, and everybody looks at it and they're like, it was so fun. And it's like, no, no, no. Imagine having to like be on, be on the top of your game, talking to a potential employer for four days a week for like weeks straight. And then to make it even better, I lived in the sorority house. So I'd come home to like 60 girls. I'm like, do not talk to me. <laughs> um, but we were going through this process and I was going to events with, I think, three or four firms um, throughout And over time, you kind of start to see like, oh, whose values align with me and who do I enjoy being around? Um, And because they would have people kind of two to three years older come help recruit. So you're like, okay, this could be my potential boss. And so I finally made it to the end of the, you know, recruiting session. And I ended up staying with two firms and I would do office visits with both. So they drove us to the office that we would commit to. So mine was Dallas. And I actually went like in office with both did tour the office, met with people, did their big, you know, party and office tour. Um, and from there kind of decided which I was going to work for. Um, we would do, that was actually for our internship, but I I don't know if you guys have the same thing, but it's like, once you have an internship there, like, unless you really mess up, like you're going back. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yep. So it was essentially, you know, I really enjoyed, working, you know, with, I ended up signing with Deloitte and I, you know, at that time, and I still do, you know, loved the people, loved the firm and the values and the mission. And so that's kind of what got me there. And when I started both as an intern and full-time, I was still like, so gung-ho about, oh, everybody says I can't do this. Like, watch me do it. I'll be here. I'll make partner, you know, fight tooth and nail for all of it. And I was really like bought in and after a little bit, it starts to eat away at you and you learn. And I think this is a lesson that everybody learns in corporate or in jobs in general. Like the more you give, the more they take. It's not the more you give, the more they give back to you. Like 
I'm sitting here making the same salary as someone who's leaving five hours earlier than me. And, and not to say anything about, I actually loved working there and loved the people there. And it's more of like the politics of just how corporate life goes in general. And I just started to realize like I... And number one, I'm giving a lot and it's not, you know, you're not getting anything in response for it. Um, but secondly, I was working with these like Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies, like mega companies where the work I did, it goes a hundred people up the chain and nobody cares about me whatsoever. And I have a personality type where like, I want to feel that what I'm doing makes a difference and that people care. And so I very quickly just became robotic and mechanical about, okay, do this, move on up. It didn't matter. And I wasn't passionate about it. And I think that's when I kind of started losing fire for, okay, why am I doing this if it's not really making a difference in the world? Yeah, that's huge. No, the big law process is is very similar, like the OCIs. And yeah, like if you get a summer associateship, you're coming back unless you really mess up that summer. <laughs> it's a summer long internship, uh, interview, right. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those stories of the way people like get no offered is hilarious. There's like TikToks about it. It's really fun. Um, <laughs> it but takes no, a lot. <laughs> it takes a lot. But wow, that really does sound like sorority recruitment. Fun fact, Christy and I are sorority sisters just from different yes. <laughs> and states. But I, I forgot about that. And then you said that. And I was like, oh, wait. But no, I I think that's huge that like what you said of like, yeah, you, your work doesn't make a difference. I'm the same way. Like I, I want to have an impact. I want to, you know, I'm not trying to be like blasted all over the internet, but like, I want people to know who I am and take note of my work. And, you know, I bring value to the, to the table, to the project, whatever it is. So I think that's huge that you recognize like, this isn't really how I see my career. And also like one thing for me with big law and why I chose not to go that route. And you basically said it too. It's like, I'm making all this money and I don't get to enjoy it. I'm working crazy hours. I'm not happy here. Like, yeah, I like the people, but like the work isn't fulfilling. It's not going to help me meet my personal goals. Even if I'm meeting the goals that they're setting for me, like at what point is this something I want to continue doing for the rest of my life? You know, when do I get to do my, my, when, when is it my turn? Um, so when was that turning point for you? Like how, how old were you? Like, where were you at in life? And like how many years into your career when you were like, I think I'm going to go off on my own. And then how did you, what was that process? Like, cause now we usually come, you're very, it's related. It's a lot like me. You use your skills and your passion. You combined and created a career out of it. But like, how did you even know to be like, oh, I can do this like on social media and build a business out of this. Yeah. So I did have a step between like big four and then going off on my own. So I was about two years, probably a little less than two years into my career. And I'm just going to like give this asterisk here that I think it makes a huge difference. My second year was like COVID. And so, you know, being, we were totally working in lockdown And I think in a career where you pull late nights, you have big projects, there's big teams. There's something to be said about like being in the office with people who are helping you through the late nights and like having that companionship. And so I was good for like the first year of doing that. But we went into lockdown. um, Was that like March 13th? I believe it was. And we have big deadlines. I mean, our tax deadlines are April and it was just we had a big deadline in March and April. And so I just went into lockdown, working from home, heads down, not talking to anybody, working the longest weeks, you know, of the year. 
in lockdown. And so for me, that really started to make me realize what I liked there was the people and the team and the camaraderie. And that had all been taken away from me. It wasn't the work. Um, and so I do think my journey was maybe a little bit accelerated by the whole work from home thing. But at that point, I kind of started looking for other jobs and figuring out what else I wanted to do. I will also say, and I I think this applies to lots of jobs. I was getting very niched into a very specific type of work that I was doing very quickly. And I realized if I didn't get out now, I was going to be stuck there forever. And I think that's something important for you to start realizing two years into your career, like, am I a generalist and I know everything or am I so siloed into this one field that that's all I could do? That's so a huge even, one. Yeah. And so even as I started, um, and I'll, to add on to that, Kayla and I have been talking about this, but my husband right now works in oil and gas and we're in Houston. And one of the big things we're always talking about is, you know, for being in an industry like that, like, is he going to be locked into that? And so all of these things, like, I think everybody in a professional career goes through this kind of thing. Um, but after realizing, starting to look at other jobs outside and realizing even two years only in, people are fitting me into this one silo and this one category. And so all the job offers I was getting were in this one type of um, tax that I practiced. And it was, so I actually worked a lot in the private equity sphere. Sphere. And that is also like a very demanding industry. And yeah. so I didn't work on the corporate accounting side at all. So my exit opportunities were not much better for work life balance. And so I was like, okay, I really need to find something. Um, and I ended up finding this opportunity with a smaller firm that actually focused on a lot similar to what I do now. They would work with business owners um, on financial planning. So it was a lot more like wealth building but using tax as the basis for it. So all of our clients had businesses, pretty established businesses, and we would help them do the tax planning for the business. How do we save taxes here? And then with that savings, what do we invest in? How do we grow it? How do we magnify our wealth? And so um, I went there, I actually had to get an investment license to go there. And so um, really combining this pattern of, not just like filling out tax forms and not just saving money on taxes, but how do we use this planning to actually build wealth in the future? And for me, like I absolutely loved how that worked, like how my work is so ingrained in literally somebody's wealth building journey. And just to be such a trusted advisor for people, it's very fulfilling. It's a little scary sometimes when you're like, yeah, yeah these people trust me with their entire wealth. That's how um, I feel about trademarks. <laughs> you know, you're, you've been yeah. there, with me, but it's funny talking about the wealth building. You and I need to have a sidebar chat because uh, it's time to hire you to be my, <laughs> my, my accounting, my accountant, my, my wealth manager, all of that. And actually my family over the weekend that's something that we're we're in the process of as a family starting to look into, but especially myself now as a business owner, I need to start doing that and, you know, setting yeah. up, and you and I've talked about this too, like multiple times, but like being self-employed and having a 401k and, and a Roth IRA and like all these planning tools, like it's time to, to, to step into that in 2024. So you and I need to chat about that. Yes. Like, well, and throughout this journey, like kind of what you just said, like all of these self-employed opportunities that you have, 
I would work to advise clients on those. And I was like, yeah, you can save, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in tax advantaged assets if you do it the right way as a self-employed person. And I'm sitting back being like, wait a minute. I want to do that. Like I'm advising on all these people on how to do it. And I just learned this pattern of like, the more you get to know your people, the more you're passionate about serving them, the, the, the more you're passionate about knowing them, the better you can serve them. And it occurred to me that I really wanted to work with a smaller number of clients on a much deeper level because I wanted to have those relationships where I could identify every opportunity that was in their life because I knew their life A to Z. I knew everything about them. And quite honestly, I think that's what it takes to really help people on the tax side. If to anybody listening, if you are working with a tax professional who like asks you for forms one time a year and fills them out, like There is just no way in which that person can know enough about your life that they can help you structure things properly. Um, And so there were kind of two things that helped me make that transition, the leap to be on my own. Number one was just realizing that I wanted this setup that would require, you know, a, a different type of client who truly valued my expertise and was willing to pay for that deep level of connection. Um, And then the second thing was at the firm I was at, um, we would advise on tax stuff, but we wouldn't always like do tax returns. And so clients would come in, I would review stuff and just see things from other professionals. And I would just like, I, it was so bad, like (laughs) work out of other firms that our clients were working with was so bad that I like four years out of school was spotting mistakes in five minutes. And I just said, you know, I can do better. And I think that's something that I'm constantly learning in my career. I, and probably you too, Kayla, like just hold myself to such high standards and expectations that I'll make like one little mistake because I'm a human and be like, oh my gosh, like I'm not the best at this. But then I look at other people's work and I literally said this over the weekend. I was like, I think I'm just better at this than other people and not in like a stuck up way. But just like when you learn and you care and you put more effort into it than other people, like I just saw the service that our clients were getting and how terrible it was. And I said, I can do better and I'm going to do better. Um, And so I, yeah, I ended up leaving and within, I want to say like two weeks, I actually had an old sorority sister reach out and She was like, let's go, let's do this. And kind of from then on, it's been a history and just keep getting new clients, whether it's referrals, people finding me on social media. Um, Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, no, I I think you and I connected uh, for sure over a year ago. I don't know if it's been two years yet, but it's really cool to see the evolution, not just of my my own career, but yours too. And, you know, you've rebranded, you've really come into your branding and you know, what your message is and who you're here to serve. And, and, you know, it's changed along the way. It always is going to be evolving, but it's really cool to see you use what you you said, like you want to help a small group of people really in depth, get to know them and their business and their lives and really help them set them up for success. And then also you're doing that for yourself. And very similar to me with what I do and they go hand in hand. Actually, you and I have worked together on a client helping her have at both sides of things. And like we, we work together on a team and 
you know, building those teams and building those resources. And it's really cool to, to be a part of that and, you know, kind of go alongside you in this journey as well. Um, what do you think the most rewarding part about going on your own is and what has been the most difficult part? Um, definitely the most rewarding is getting to choose who I work with. I, I have had sales calls with people who will say things to me and I'm like, bye, <laughs> like red flag, not even sending you a proposal. Um, and I have the ability to do that, right? Like I get to make my own choices. And if you are not someone, like I said, I have a very specific niche firm. Like if you are someone who just wants me to fill out paperwork for you, yeah, you're going to think I'm expensive and you're going to not want to pay my rates. And you know what? That's fine. Go elsewhere. And I have the liberty to say that. So I don't really feel bogged down and stressed by the clients I serve because they're clients I want to serve and have chosen to serve. So definitely the most rewarding, the most challenging has been the growth phase and hiring. I have had, I could go on and on about employee struggles, um, but how do you, you know, once you are in a growth phase and you are wanting to serve more people, right? I said, I want this to be very few clients that I'm like dedicated to because it takes longer. And so once Christy is maxed out. Like, how do we increase the capacity? How do I templatize my offers without making them too template? Because the goal is to be customized. How do I teach somebody else who didn't come from the same background I do what to look at and what to do? And obviously, as a financial person, I'm analyzing the finances of all of this. And I think it's, you know, one of the things that is always true in a business is especially when you're solo, you start making money and you're doing great. And then you get to the employee phase and you're like, and now I'm costing myself a lot of money and you have to rebuild it up. And so, you know, I've kind of been going through that growth phase and, um, yeah, it's, it's just hard. And even trusting other people with like what you have built and like getting access to your clients, like my clients are my babies, like giving somebody else access to talk to them and serve them is incredibly challenging. Yeah. I, I'm almost at a year of, well, so I have two businesses. One business is at a year. The other one is like 10 months. So in January, it'll be a year. And it's just crazy to think like, it's been really slow growth because I was working part-time for the majority of that. But I, I'm seeing it now that I have gone on my own and I went on my own for the first time fully September so I'm really seeing it's picked up, it's grown. I've hired two assistants because I'm not able to hire full-time yet, but I'm starting to need to delegate and step up marketing. I know you've hired one of our friends to help you with marketing services. I hired an assistant to do it in-house versus outsourcing it at this point in time. But the goal is for them to eventually grow with me where they're handling admin stuff and I can outsource the marketing. And then I hire a paralegal and I hire law clerks and like eventually the law clerk can become an associate. And like, I'm thinking of forward expansion. So I'm, I'm like in the pre-growth stage, like the growth stage will come probably like summer, but I'm preparing for it now. And yeah, no one really talks about how <laughs> difficult that really can be. And again, why I need you to help me in the finance side. So I know what I can use to, yeah. to go, to do those things and, you know, where, but also be cognizant of preparing myself for my own like, future of, you know, buying a home and starting a family and travel and like the things that I like as a person, not just as a business owner. But what do you think, so you're saying like, you're now in, the, you're in the growth phase. Like, what do you think the phase before that is 
um, like, what do you think the stages of a business are like the newer, like solo entrepreneur businesses and how do you help in each stage? Like, what can you offer? Yeah. So I would say, you know, first off you start out probably just in your solo phase, maybe you have, um, you know, assistance that you're getting to help or you straight up outsource. I, I don't necessarily consider outsource as difficult because you're giving it to somebody who like, you don't have to teach and instruct ideally. Um, so you kind of have that first stage and here you, your biggest goal generally, and, and this is very different based on everybody's personal beliefs and honestly money needs. Like I will work with some clients who are like, I just need this to make me fun money. Awesome. I work with some people who are like, I want to sell this one day. And this is my entire retirement plan. So how we approach things are very different based on your personal goals. And that's why I'm like, can't templatize any of this because everybody is different. Um, but I would say that first stage, the biggest thing for a lot of people is number one, making sure you are staying compliant with everything, filing all the right forms, doing all the right things, and the genuinely just knowing what your business is doing. Everything from having reliable financial statements, being able to read them, knowing what's coming in, knowing what's going out, that's going to be your best friend at that first level. Just having, I call it like the foundations, the fundamentals. Because if you don't prioritize it here, when you do get to the next level, you're going to be years and years behind. And trust me, I've spent all week digging people out of three-year holes and I just don't want to do it. It's no fun when you are in this growth phase to be looking back three years and being like, I didn't set myself up properly. Definitely from a financial and even legal standpoint, like making sure you are good there. As you go into this growth phase, one of the things that you are going to start having to pay attention to separate from this like solopreneur phase is most solopreneurs are going to focus very much on their profit, right? We hear the PL is like the most common statement here. When you actually move into this growth phase mode, you're going to want to watch your cash flow more than your profit. So the difference here is like you can have profit because you are making sales, but maybe those sales don't manifest in the form of cash until, you know, a six month payment plan. And so your sales and your cash, depending on how you do your accounting um, or how you do your record keeping may not match. Same thing with your expenses. You may take money out as an owner and have distributions, but that doesn't show on your profit and loss. So it looks like you're profitable, but you took too much money out of the business as an owner. And so your profit shows, but you don't have cash. And so I would say in the growth phase, it's a lot more about the when things happen, right? I know if I have a, I I know to prepare for a slow month and to maintain a surplus of cash in those months that I can't take money out here, that I have to be more careful about my margins here and really building that up or how to leverage good use of credit cards. So we can pretty much get an extra month on our expenses with the credit card. We obviously don't want to be carrying a balance, but you know, if I have a really high expense month in August and that's a really low sales month for me, I can put things on a credit card and plan to have a really big month in September and pay that off. Right. And so in that growth phase, it's all about making sure we have the cash to do the things we want. Your margins are going to drop in that growth phase just by nature of like, you were doing all the work before. Obviously, like now you have to hire people. You have to get a lot more help. You are probably feeling so frantic that everybody, like right lately, I'm like, you do this, you do this. Just send me an invoice. Like that's what yeah. I've been saying a lot lately. 
And so that that we're more concerned about, like, do we have the cash in the right place at the right time to make these payments happen? Yes, profit's going to decrease during this phase, and that's natural. As we go through that phase and as we get out of it, and I don't think you're ever really truly out of it, but you will get to a phase of more normalcy where you're starting to achieve like a level of economies of scale. Things are evening out. Things are making a lot more sense. And at this phase, yes, we're still always watching cash flow, but we're also watching, um, now we're going back to watching profitability saying, okay, things have steadied out. Now we can figure out, Hey, that assistant we hired when we were in desperate need of like just somebody helping out, they're getting paid too much. Or, oh, hey, our number one employee is asking for a raise here. Like, can we afford that? Is that good? Do we want to? And so, you know, in in that growth phase, it's just about making it work. And in that last phase, it's about how we make it the most profitable in a way that works for you. Because I'm also never going to advise a client on like what is quote, quote unquote like most profitable for you, because some clients, that's a perfect example about an employee asking for a raise. Some clients may be like, no, I'd rather keep that money. I personally, if I have a really good employee and they're asking for a raise, I'm like, you know what? I would rather pay this good employee a little bit more, have a little less profit for me, but not have to find somebody new, not have to train somebody new, feel good that I have things handled on the back end. So that phase is all about figuring out what works for you. And then between all of this on the personal side, you're managing also, how much can I pay myself? How much can I afford to distribute? How much can I contribute to my retirement plans? There's all of these moving pieces. And I can even say like, now in growth phase, I've been like, maybe my retirement plan has to be on hold for this year because I'm throwing more here. And so there's this connection of, business and personal finances that I think a lot of advisors miss when they're saying, this is how you make it the most profitable, or this is how you make the most money. And you're saying, wait a minute, that's not what I want personally. And so I think throughout all of this, it's, it's not just how can I make the best business? It's also how can I make it work for me? Yeah, that's a great point. And I was, that was, I was going to ask you, how do you, because you're handling people's business and money and you're helping them create all these systems and processes and plans for their career and their lives, but you're also doing it for yourself. So what, how has your strategy for yourself changed now doing it for other people? Like you just said, you know, I think that now, right now I need to put my retirement plans on hold and prioritize growth. And it's kind of like what I've been doing of this whole year you know, my first year out, I've been prioritizing paying off my student loans, but I haven't prioritized saving for anything else at this point in time, because I need that money to be able to start my business and software and all of that. But now at 2024, I want to shift the focus to a little bit more now that I know what my, you know, my overhead is now I know I can where I can put money in for retirement, knowing that probably 2025, 2026, that might take a step back again, to be in that stage. So how has that affected you personally, like you said, business and personal finances are different. Your own planning for yourself as Christy, not just your business. Yeah. So when I knew that I was going to leave my job and start my business, I immediately like turned down my retirement contributions. And I've been someone like I, from the day that I started my job, like I would max my retirement plans. I, you know, my HSA, all of that. And I will say, like, I do think that put me in a position to be able to do this, right? Like, I've had 
five years of retirement contributions already. So for me, it's okay if I sit back and say, I might miss this year, but what I already have in there is going to grow. So you know, if you're listening to this and you're younger and you are in a corporate job, like the more you can do that early and be able to say, there's already some money in there. It's already going to grow. Like that's been a big help. Um, but you know, the minute I knew I was going to do this, I said, I, I'm going to need access to cash. I'm going to need it available to me. I have no idea how much this first year is going to cost me. And thankfully, you know, we're in a position because I married my husband and I do like we pretty much combine finances like we consider it all ours. And so these were all discussions we were having before. And we were thankfully in a place where we had saved up quite a bit of money because he was going to school. So he wasn't working. And then I was like, Oh, also, I'm not going to work or I'm not going to work a corporate job. I'm going to start a business. And so, you know, we had set aside money that I knew was going to sustain me for a certain amount of time. And I told myself, you know, you get this long to take a shot at it. And if it doesn't work at this point, then you probably need to look at going back to school because you can't cash flow it anymore. Or you can look at, look at going back to a job because you can't cash flow it anymore. And so, um, you know, I did that. I, I took that time and then I started making money and it started being good. And we got to the the time period where I said, oh, you need to analyze going back to a job. And quite frankly, like I still wasn't making what I wanted to. Like I, this was probably eight or nine months in and I, it takes probably, I would say two years to like fully ramp up, obviously depends who you are. And so obviously I didn't go back and get a job at that point, but what I did was I took on some extra contract work. So I talked to some other people in my field and was like, Hey, I just really need a little bit more consistent income right now to get me through, um, and I did that for like two months. And the second month I was doing that, like my own business started taking off. And I was like, never mind. Sorry. Bye. I did the um, exact same thing. <laughs> and it's so funny because I I had the same conversation with myself and with my parents. You know, yours was with your husband, mine was with my parents. But it's very it's the same thing of like, hey, give me a year. And if in a year it hasn't taken off, not meaning that I'm making the amount of money that I would be making at a corporate job, because not likely, but like that I'm able to pay my way and have a little bit of money left over. Give me a year. If I can get to that, then I'm going to keep pursuing this. If I can't make it in a year, then I'll go to a firm. And I'm at that year point. And they're like, no, this is working. Like it's, I know that next year is going to be tougher because of the shifts that I need to make. And again, hiring you and all of that, and that's going to cost me, but it's worth it. You know? So it's funny that like, that was kind of where you were at. Cause I can relate so much to it, which is why I also enjoy these conversations and why your podcast is so great, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but also having friends in this phase, uh, you know, and also doing the entrepreneurship thing and we're all doing different things. But we're all, we can talk about these we can have these conversations. Gigi and I have monthly CEO chats where we do admin together and we motivate each other to talk about what's been going good or bad in our business, where we can make changes, help each other, like know where like an idea, like how about delegating that or whatever. And, you know, remind each other to pay invoices or send invoices <laughs> or whatever. So, you know, it's cool to have friends that are doing this alongside you, but that's- yeah, and I think that this is like more people's story than have ever let on. Oh, for sure. But it's nice like that you you had that help with your husband and for me my parents I cannot imagine doing it completely on my own. I and and I will say I think everyone that I know that has done it has had that support system whether it's family or a partner. 
or something along those lines. Like I, I don't, I can't say that I know someone that's completely done it without that support system, but I, I just don't think you can. Like, I don't think you can do it without that support system. Yeah. And if you don't have a built-in one, like go make one and find one. Mentorship is the biggest thing. That's why you and I both started our podcast. That's how I got to where I am today. I knew that I could go on this route because of the mentorship aspect um, and making friends like you guys. Um, but you brought up a good point of you and your husband combining your finances. It's something that I actually talk about a lot with my parents and just friends. And like, I always am pulling people like, do you recommend that prenups? Like, I mean, I'm coming from the legal side of things, but like you're coming from the finance side. Like when, let's say like, for example, me, like going into a relationship where I know that I want it to work and I really think it could, but I want, I'm coming in with a business. I have stocks, I have assets. I hope to buy my own home in the next one and a half to two years. You know, I want to protect those things in addition to all the stuff that I want to build with this person. How do I go about, you know, let's say we've been working together for a year, year and a half, and I have all these systems set up that you've helped me with. How do I have those conversations? How did you guys have those conversations? So we got married at 23 and had absolutely nothing. (laughs) So I do think that added to the equation, like, no, we don't have a prenup because literally nobody had anything. Um, I will say like he had student loans and I did not. And I did look at him and say, you're paying those off before the wedding because I am not like getting those. Um, And so, you know, we did have those conversations. Um, And I would say like, when I say we combine our finances, like we share a joint credit card, like we still have our own separate accounts. But when I say like combined finances, what I mean is mentally, like we think of all of our money as ours. And I think, you know, and everybody is personal about this. Everybody has different opinions on it, but I genuinely think like the reason that he is able to make this money is because I do this. Or the reason I'm able to make this money is because he does this, right? Like there are very few instances where one partner is doing something exclusively alone. Even you'll look at families where, you know, one of them stays at home with the kids and the other one is like, oh, well, I'm making all this money. It's like, well, you're only able to do that because your partner is supporting you and doing this. And so- Which is funny you mentioned that because in law school, in family law, when divorces would come up, and that was the case. It was a stay-at-home parent. Usually the wife, the mom was a stay-at-home and the dad was working. The wife would end up taking home more than 50% because she her contribution was that she stayed home and took care of the kids and cooked and cleaned. So you can go to work longer hours. And the husband's like fighting the core of like, she's right. contributed. <laughs> and they're like, no, that's her contribution. Some states do consider that a contribution and they, they, they might cap it or they have like percentages, but that's a really good point. And I like that. I think that's a good note too of like you have your separate accounts, but you have a joint credit card or one joint account for like household expenses or the children or whatever, but you keep your money separate in other ways. And, but it's the mentality of like our money is ours because we're allowing each other to, you know, and my parents did that. And, you know, one of them would get the promotion or go the longer stretch of hours for a few years while the other one stayed where they're at. And then when they got where they wanted, then the next person would go because they knew that there were two kids at home going to school and college and like all of that stuff. And now we're both out of school and now they're able to, you know, use all that money that 
they, now they're making more money than they've ever made, but they also have more disposable income because we're starting to take care of our own things, even though we're living at home. So there is more money there for travel and buying investment properties and like the fun stuff and like the part, like the good part, you know, so it takes time. Yeah. And definitely, you know, I, I would also say what the, my biggest advice is like, stop doing what other people tell you to do, like do what works for you. I always say the best tax plan is not the one that saves you the most money. It's the one you're going to follow. Like if you make things so complex for yourself, like I know people who are like, my paycheck goes into six different accounts and we pay it out of here and we do this. Like I would just, I wouldn't do it. Like I would just be so complicated for me that I would just say, uh, never mind, we're done. And so, you know, a lot of it for us has just been like, eh, we didn't bother to go get other accounts. Like this just works for us. I even had an instance the other day, we've been married for almost five years. And like my maiden name is still on my credit card. And I got questioned about it. Like when I say a lot of this is just by nature of like, this is what worked for us because we were busy at the time and things were happening. But I do think the mentality is the most important. Like, how do you view things? So, you know, this summer, my husband was working a lot or last summer, he was really busy. He was working a lot of hours. Normally the credit card comes out of his account, but I logged on, saw it wasn't paid. I was like, okay, cool. Like he hasn't had a chance to take care of it. Let me do it. And it's not like conversations. I personally, I know a lot of people are like, okay, you contribute this percentage, you contribute this percentage. And that, that totally works for some people. For me, I just was like, okay, cool. I'll cover it now. He'll get it in the future. Like that's kind of how things go for us. Um, because I just, in my opinion, like the more we have these conversations about your money, my money, contribute this, contribute that, that's the mentality you start adapting, even if it's like unintentional. And yeah. so for us, it's just been like, spend everything on this credit card. Like we'll literally joke. He'll go to dinner and he's like, I'm treating you to dinner. And I'm like, yeah, on our joint credit card. Like, okay. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's huge. What you said, it's the communication and it goes in all aspects of this money is the number one. Like I saw in family law and I'm, I'm sure you know this, like money is the number one reason people break up, not cheating. Cheating might be second, but like money is the number one thing. So you have to keep that conversation happening. And it's making sure you're on the same page, like from the beginning. Like when I say we had money talks well before I knew he had debt that I didn't before we got engaged and like all of these things and making sure you're okay with that and that you're like long-term goals align. Like I genuinely don't think I could have married someone who not that they like had to be investing in retirement accounts, but like who didn't see the point in it. Or yeah. just making sure like there are some things I'm going to sound so cynical, but you're probably the same way, like in law, like, I'm sorry, love is like one twelfth. I knew of- that's about, I knew it, I knew it, I knew that's what you were about to say, because I was going to say this. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Um, That sounds like terrible. No, I it's love so my husband. true. He's great. But like, there are so many things that like, you know, also have to work with this person and and you have to make that happen. Yeah. Love isn't enough. You need a, how are you going to raise your kids? Are you guys religious? Are you going to raise your kids religious? Where are you going to live? How do you want to live? What do you value? Like communication, you have to have all these conversations and it's scary and it's hard, but like, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. Like I could not marry somebody who didn't have ambition and who didn't see the value in investing in their future. However, they choose to invest in it. Right. That's a conversation that comes later, but like those are the number, like I, I ask pointed questions 
not just of dating, but my friends, like I, those are the people I want in my life. So I couldn't agree more. And yeah, like my goal is I should be able to pay off my student loans within the next three to five years. That's when I plan to get married. I, I'm not, and you know, I, if they have loans, I hope that that's their goal too. And if mm-hmm. they don't, cool. But like, yeah, I don't want to come into a relationship owning, like having debt besides a mortgage. You know, right. everyone has a mortgage that is, unless you're loaded, <laughs> like you can't avoid that one, but like additional debt, you know, credit card debt or loans or mm-hmm. like card debt or whatever. Like, I don't want to come into a relationship with any of that. And I hope that they don't either, or that will be agreed upon that they're like, I'm not contributing to that. That is yours only. And, you know, but I think it's so important to have those conversations And I'm glad that that is, you know, something that you advise your clients on. And again, it goes back to just working with a small group of clients that where you really get to be in depth in, in every aspect of their life, because finances is it's money. Money makes the world go round, but it's the biggest stressor that we all have. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's important and it's, it shouldn't be so scary. Yeah. I like that you make it not so scary. You make it a lot more approachable and you make it a lot more enjoyable to educate yourself on. And that brings me to the CEO Wing Woman podcast. What was your goal in starting that podcast? How did it come about? And what do you talk about on there? Yeah. So really my goal, I, I've said a lot um, and I actually have a personality test that I will send you the link to because I think it's really cool. Um, But it's like, what's your business personality type? And one of the personality types that I encounter a lot, I call it like the Oprah because it's like, what's your celeb celeb type? And it was like the helper. And it's how, like what your goal is in your business and what potential like concerns there are for that. And so for me, it was like, I just want to help everybody. But unfortunately, like one of the things I found was that when I had low ticket offers, I overserved and overserved and really ate into my profit in which I have a business, like not a nonprofit. Um, and so the best advice that I've ever found for that is distinctly differentiate your services, have a free resource that people can use and have your high ticket paying clients, but don't like give discounts to clients who you want to help, right? Like we're just keeping these two separate. And so I said, my goal is to give people this knowledge. I'm not, I, I can't afford to spend my time implementing it to clients who aren't paying me full price, but let's make all of this knowledge 100% free on the podcast and give them the tools to be able to do it themselves. And so that's kind of my way of like being able to give back to the world while still making sure I am running a financially successful business on the other side of it. Um, And so, you know, we talk about everything from, you know, we've, we've talked legal, we've talked finance, we've talked um, nutrition. That's actually a big one for me, like keeping your body in good shape while running a business. Yes. Um, And, you know, everything from that, that, you know, just like we talked about before going through this, like you need a community of people who understand. And so it's all of the things I call it your little, like your mini board of directors, um, people from all different expertise who will give you advice on running a business. And for me, it was just to get those conversations out in the world to be like, look, you're not the only one who can't sleep because you're up all night thinking about X, Y, Z, or, you know, you've been running on granola bars for five years and now you are in trouble nutritionally because of this business. And so just talking about everything business and tangential, not just, you know, the, the solid pieces of business. 
Yeah. Cause it's holistic and it's like you said, nutrition, you, I know you've talked about motherhood, you've talked about other aspects and they all play a role that community. I love that you call it a board of directors. Cause I call my parents, my board of directors, and like, <laughs> we'll have business meetings. We'll have board yeah. of director meetings. And it's me and my two, my two parents, my mom and my dad. And you know, and I'm going to bring you onto the team and Nathan, our mutual friend, who is a lawyer who has been an incredible support system to me. He needs to come on the podcast too. Um, (laughs) Like you guys are my board of directors as well. And like my two assistants now, like they're, they, they are my right hand man. Like they, both of them, these two girls, like I, I've only had them for like two, three weeks. And like, I cannot imagine not having them right now. Like while we've been on this podcast, they posted content for me. Love it. (laughs) Um, But no, this has been absolutely incredible. Where can everyone find you? I'll link it all below. Perfect. Yeah. So my website is just christybuoy.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at it's Christy Bowie, as well as LinkedIn. Um, those are probably my two active platforms. And then I'll also send Kayla the quiz because I just think it's really fun to like learn what your personality type is and how that's going to impact you um, financially. And I've, I've seen a lot of these instances, so it's been really fun. Um, but yeah, that's where you can connect with me. Feel free to send me a DM, whatever you need. I am always a resource. Well, yeah, I'll link the quiz below and I'll let you know what I get. But before we go, what's the greatest piece of advice you've ever received? Or what's one piece of advice you have for anybody listening who maybe is like us and went the traditional route, but then realized like, "Mm, this just doesn't like there's more for me here. Like, I want to do something else. Um, I would say you're allowed to change your mind. Like you are allowed to change. It could be every day. I mean, I don't recommend it, but (laughs) um, whatever you decide, like that can either be, that can be like, okay, for now, this is where I am for now. But you know, not every decision you have to, you make has to be permanent. You can make one decision, you can change your mind. And, you know, I've done that a lot within my business, deciding whether I want to grow it, whether I want to stay small, whatever. And I think that's the privilege of, you know, even not working, even working corporate, like you are allowed to change your mind and do different things. And so, you know, if you aren't somewhere you like, you have the power to change that. So I just think, you know, everybody should know that you do govern your life and what you decide. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much, Chrissy, for coming on the podcast. I will see you guys all next week.